this is Mark Galliotti with another short In Moscow Shadow cellcast recorded on the evening of Wednesday the 19th of August and, given its timeliness, going out generally rather than with priority access to my patrons. Sorry, patrons. I promise I will make it up to you. But I want to talk about accounts of Russian intervention in Belarus and, to be blunt, the need to be cautious about these kind of accounts. After all, Let's be clear. I see no sign at all that Moscow is at all eager to intervene in Belarus in any real way, but certainly not militarily. On the other hand, nor can we totally rule it out. The Kremlin may, after all, feel that it has no option, lest it, quote-unquote, lose Belarus, as I discussed in my previous cellcast. And, let's be perfectly honest, the paranoid hawks in the Kremlin can also just do something stupid. So... It's not impossible. At the same time, though, this is a confused, fast-moving situation. People get things wrong. People want to be the first to break news, even at the expense of properly checking it. People have their own agenda. They circulate and retweet the exciting stuff and so forth. We need to be very careful. And I'm thinking of a few quite specific stories and issues. First of all, Right at the beginning of the current revolution, and I think we can call it that, there were claims, even backed by photos, that Russian security personnel were taking part in the brutal crackdown. This was pretty iffy from the start. But there were photos that seemed to show Russian-looking riot cops with the Russian tricolor on their shoulders. The thing is that many uh, Belarus, Amon, the riot police, and other security police do have quite Russian-looking style uniforms and loadouts and kit. Russian Amon don't generally have a trickle or flash on their shoulders, the way that these photos were showing. And subsequent analysis indeed showed that it actually was probably more a trick of the light, at night after all, that made it look like these were the Russian colours. Let's face it, it was hardly likely that Moscow would, particularly at such an early stage, have rushed to send in its men to support Lukashenko and in the process turn what at the moment is a purely national revolution into something that would be explicitly anti-Russian, and it would. Even less likely was that they would especially sew on Russian flags to make the point. Let's face it, that's a little bit like a selfish dog owner letting their pup foul the street and then popping their business card into it just to really emphasise whose it was. But for some people, this fit their assumptions and their expectations. And therefore, they ran with it. And for a while, the story definitely had some legs before people realised that actually there wasn't anything to it. Now, since then, we've got tales of Russian National Guard convoys driving in the direction of Belarus. But 400 kilometres away, now that's a distance between Brussels and Frankfurt. So it's not exactly next door, not exactly conclusive. Beyond that, there was a story that was uh, reported by a rather, frankly, questionable German tabloid of plane loads of Russian National Guard being flown in. Plane loads that no one else seems to have been able to confirm. I mean, there's also a single flight of a transport plane that is uh, registered to the Russian Federal Security Service that last night flew into Minsk, was there for three hours, and then flew out, presumably so that 
some senior FSB bigwig was having consultations. That was able to be picked up on flight radar, but apparently plane loads of National Guard, no one can spot them. Never mind. Of course, look, the whole issue is thoroughly muddied by the fact that in Russia, this is military exercise season. So there's a lot of forces on the move back and forth. And this could, of course, be used to mask deployments into Belarus. It's a very classic Russian tactic. We've seen it in many wars before. But the point is, it also can mean that what looks like some martial convoy heading towards Belarus could just simply be a misunderstanding of military manoeuvres. We therefore need to be especially cautious about the more outlandish claims these days, especially in some ways if they seem to fit our own preconceptions. We need to be quite suspicious of ourselves. Now, why? Why am I belabouring this point? It's because I fear we're moving into an information warfare stage of this crisis. The first week was chaotic, exciting, unplanned. No one knew how big this protest wave was going to grow. The opposition was generally itself generated off the streets. Um, it had leadership, but the leadership was largely in exile, in prison, fragmentary. So instead, the streets, the factories, the universities, the offices, you know, this is where it was all emerging. Likewise, the regime was caught completely off guard. Lukashenko's disastrous visit to the MKZT Minsk tractor works, you know, once bastion of his support, to be booed and met with chance of resign, I think truly underscored that. Now, though, things are changing. The opposition is beginning to move from the protest to the politics phase with the formation of a coordinating council. Now, that gives it a lot more capacity to coordinate, a lot more capacity to engage in dialogue, whether it's with the European Union or indeed with the government in Minsk. But it also means the emergence of new personalities and in due course, almost certainly factions as well. Meanwhile, the regime, while reeling, now knows that it is in the fight of its life. And I think it's realising as well that it can no longer re rely either on its traditional supporters, nor frankly Moscow. And as a result of all this, I fear and suspect that we're going to see more efforts and more sophisticated ones to stir the pot, to manipulate public and perhaps even more importantly, international opinion. There's going to be hotheads on the street who are eager to spread rumours suggesting that the situation is worse than it is, of, I don't know, death squads and Russians in Belarusian clothing and such like, because they believe it'll advance their cause, and because it's exciting, and maybe because they think it'll persuade others to join them. More to the point, the regime will be looking to demonise the opposition, and maybe create, ironically enough, an anti-Russian vibe to it. They may want the opposition to start getting anti-Russian. Why? Because that way they can use it to try and persuade at least the hawks in Moscow that Lukashenko is their only option if they want to hold on to the country. And beyond that, we're also beginning to actually see different opinions emerging in Moscow about what to do. And this, too, can create all kinds of reasons for spin, rumour and outright fabrication. It's going to be a messy situation. Now, 
In guerrilla war, there's often this hinge moment when guerrillas in the hills and the jungles have to turn themselves into something more like a, a conventional army. And this can often be one of the trickiest times for them. Well, likewise, in revolution, the transition from protest to politics can be exceedingly difficult to navigate. And it's often accompanied by the eruption of differences you know, amongst the rebels, as well as political operations by the state. And let's not forget that the Belarusian KGB is a thoroughly unpleasant organization, as one would expect by the fact that it kept the initials of its Soviet predecessor. But actually, much like its Soviet predecessor, it can be quite brutally effective at the things it does. So it may well be that we're going to see more in the attempts of provocations, of divisions and so forth being managed by the state's covert arms. So for those of us who are watching, who are you know, obviously desperately hoping that the people of Belarus can free themselves of this thuggish and illegitimate regime, we can at least try, try and not amplify the manipulations and misinformations that are likely to emerge. And in this way, just as in a recent article for Ramop Rusland, I suggested that Western diplomacy ought to be driven by the Hippocratic Oath, that notion of first do no harm, well, likewise, those of us who are watching, those of us who are pundits and cheerleaders, and let's be honest, nowadays, anyone with a Twitter account or the like is a media outlet. We, too, can feel that if nothing else, we can try and do no harm. Well, thank you for listening. This has been another In Moscow Shadow production. If you'd like to become a patron and support its operations, or indeed be able to get the goodies that genuinely patrons do get, the exclusive content and such like, go to www.patreon.com slash inmoscowshadows. But in the meantime, and until my next podcast, thank you very much indeed for listening. Ты только будь, пожалуйста, со мною, товарищ правда, товарищ правда.